And if it's wrong, guess what? Oh well. Fat girl hacks. Fat girl hacks. What even is our top podcast topic for today? Hey, welcome to Fat Girl Hacks. I'm Jamie Frost. I'm Megan Peters. I'm Suzanne Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Filling in for Nina. <laughs> Nina decided she didn't want to be here. She decided she didn't like us anymore. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with the fans. Nina hates us. Nina hates us. Well, you too, because I'm not like close enough to <laughs> garner that level of ire. So since we're keeping tally, that is two of us hated by Nina. Well, yeah. let's count Kevin. Three of us hated by Nina. No, she probably likes Kevin. Okay, so two of us hated by yeah. Nina, and two of us are cool. So yeah. when she listens to this, she's going to be sitting home shaking her head. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. We've been trying to convince Nina she hates us for a while, so I think we maybe just won. She'll keep coming around. Yeah, we don't really... Um, uh, we're just going to go for it. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. We're going to yeah. ask you questions. It's going right. to be a rapid fire. Oh, man. Okay. I'm just kidding. It's so, not. no. The last <laughs> time we had you on, yeah. we think it was like, I really feel like we got a lot of feedback yes. from like, hey, I never thought of it that way, or this was I didn't helpful. know I could say that to my doctor. We talked about, yeah, being fat and going to the doctor and what why that experience is so anxiety-inducing. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, specifically, you really helped me out um, just to, you know, bring our our listeners' memories back to when they've heard your voice before. (laughs) Uh, You'll remember, Suzanne, from when she came on to talk about the doctor's appointment I had in which the doctor taught me about serving sizes and calorie counting. You actually reminded me of something else he said today, and I've already forgotten it. (laughs) Didn't he prescribe, like, a 1,200-calorie diet or yes, something Yes, that's crazy? it. He did He did tell me I should eat, like, 1,400 calories or something like that. So the amount of a toddler. Yes, and I, and I even said to him, so based on my current body weight, you want me to eat 1,400 cal- calories? Like, I even clarified it with him, and he was like, no, that's what I want you to do. Um, and he even, of course, I think we all remember the epic prescription pad Yes. Um, he actually took the time to write on a prescription pad for me to take a walk. Yeah. So condescending. <laughs> so condescending. I mean, just, I just can't. Well, first of all, I don't even have a physical prescription pad at this point because everything's <laughs> electronic. Yeah. So the fact that he could take the time to be like, let me whip out this piece of paper. Like, that was purposeful and purposely hurtful. Yeah. Yes. He so. only has that now to hurt fat people's feelings. Yeah. Like, he's like, hey, 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 yeah. Like, he left the room and was like, I'll be back. And he came in with the prescription pad, and I had gone he for had pain. One. And I was like, oh, he's going to give me something that you can only write on a pad because it's yes. a pain pill or something. Like controlled substances. Exactly. Yeah. And then he put that down, and I can't tell you how hard it was to not shove it down his stupid throat. Um, but I didn't, I left, I said, have a great day. And then I called everyone involved in that doctor's office to tell on him. And like, you really helped me with that because I left that appointment. And my first thought was, this doesn't feel right. This wasn't right. This wasn't okay. Yeah. Well, because, and you left still in pain with no answer to the pain that was happening in the moment. And feeling completely... Uh, assaulted just emotionally. Yeah. And 
like having having you to reach out to even via Instagram or Twitter and say, hey, this is what happened to me. Is this okay? Was really helpful because you then led me to health at every size. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know what what should be our expectation when we go to the doctor, whether it be for a broken arm or something that might have to do with our size, how how can we expect the doctors to treat us or how should we expect to be treated? I know it's a hard question. Yeah, the slippery slope. So I had, you know, I had this conversation with a colleague earlier this week because we did a presentation that was geared towards students who are going to be like medical and uh, physician assistant students. And they actually requested this information because it's not in medical and physician assistant and nursing school curriculums in terms of how to provide uh, affirming and safe care for people who are in larger bodies. And we uh, we talked about whether or not we there needs to be specific training about that the same way that we have specific training like trauma informed care training mm-hmm. you know training for to address a wide variety of cultural aspects um, that patients come in with and so I think right now everyone should be able to expect that they can go to a healthcare provider and receive safe and affirming care and to not be shamed or um and to have their experiences validated but i think that the sort of medical industrial complex is very marinated in weight stigma and so because we've been trained to think that a lot of disease states and illnesses are directly caused by body size, which we know doesn't bear out in the actual scientific evidence in the literature and things like that. You know, you've got correlation versus causation, and people don't seem to understand how each works. Yeah. Um, And I think especially male physicians are the hardest. Like, they are definitely the group that is not interested in having this conversation. Um, And... A lot of times what does happen is patients come in for pain or a specific complaint and then somehow the discussion circles around to weight loss. Yeah. And I think that's a function of one, our like cultural stigma, but also when a provider doesn't know how to provide an answer for someone, it's easier to blame the patient and say, well, if you just lost weight, you wouldn't have pain. Yeah. So in your instance, we were talking about something related to the liver, which um, can be more prevalent in people in larger bodies, but also personally, I've seen it in plenty of people who are in very thin bodies. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's more of an epidemic based on what we're eating, not necessarily how our body size reacts to what we're eating. So I could still be, um, you know, I could be a skinny lady and, and eat. A, a Wawa bagel melt every day of my life and still have fatty liver disease because right. I eat a Wawa bagel melt every day of my life. Um, so I just, I just really like my takeaway from that appointment was what if I had been an 18 year old girl who was struggling with body image or an eating disorder or an eating disorder. And right. then I walk in and this man is telling me exactly what I'm 
dealing with in my brain of I don't deserve to eat this many calories or I don't deserve to have yeah. these things mm. because of the way my my body reacts to how I eat. And Here's and my question on the situation. If you and and a quote unquote average sized person came into that appointment for the same thing, mm. right. would they have treated the average sized person's pain then dealt with the underlying condition mm. instead of the way they treated you, which was you're fat. This is your fault. Come back after you lose 900 pounds and yes. then we'll talk about your pain. Yeah. So I think, and you know, and that's kind of, then you get into that circle of this because how does it get better when you're still in pain? Yeah. Like what yeah. are we doing here? There's also no guarantee that if somebody loses weight, yes, that their condition resolves or gets better. And that's what concerns me is because it's like a used car sales speech. Like, you're promising something to someone that you don't know is true, that you don't know is guaranteed to happen. Um, There are people who lose a lot of weight and they still will have high blood pressure or high cholesterol because there's a huge genetic component that we don't account for and don't really understand. and that's not the field of research that I'm in, but it's something that I like to keep an eye on of, you know, how we're studying metabolism and genetic yeah. influences in disease states, how we look at social determinants of health. We know that, like, allostatic load, which is stress, really has a huge uh, bearing on people's health. Mm. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, because we're in a different world. This is a different world. We're no right, longer right. farming. Right. We're not 12 hours a day. Farmers. We're no longer. Thank God. You know, churning our own butter. Making we're not deal to be vegan. <laughs> we're not doing these things anymore. So there's huge lifestyle changes. And then there's but then there's no change to to anything else. Um, you know, I think that other, like you'll see in other countries, they'll have like calisthenics in the morning or something like that. Like they're trying to incorporate things without necessarily the shaming. Well, joyful movement is much more like, listen, I'm not an expert, but like I was just having this conversation. I believe I asked you to be an expert. I'm an expert on everything, (laughs) but um, like, I feel like joyful movement is, just much more part of other cultures. So, for right, instance, like, Iceland, it, apparently, yeah. like, I forget, it's a high statistic. Like, 85% of Icelandic people go to the pool every day. Or other cities and it's just where part it's of their walkable. Culture. Yeah. It's bikeable. Like, America wasn't really set up, I feel like, for people, unless you're in a major metropolitan area, like... You know, Philadelphia, Center City, New York City, that sort of thing, Boston. It's not really set up for you to use public transportation. Public transportation is cost prohibitive in a lot of ways. I think in Germany, they just subsidize the cost of that because of gas, rising gas prices. Um, We don't really have safe biking opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like Philadelphia talks about that all the time. And that's why we've seen this influx of like protected bike lanes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And walking isn't even really conducive in many ways because of just the way that, of you know, urban planning and the way our suburbs are situated. I mean, if you think about our regional rail system, like, you have to, like, go into Center City, Philadelphia to get back out to go to another suburb. And, yeah. Um, 
and we don't create safe spaces on public transportation. So I feel like other yeah. cultures really <laughs> put a lot of effort into moving uh, their citizens. Yes, yeah. like you're just you're moving because that's how you get from place to place. That's how you grocery shop. Mm. You know, there's more density in terms of like urban areas, and so you're more likely to live close to your grocery store and the daycare and the school and things like yeah. that. And kids are much more active. Yeah. So. Um, and then we had a pandemic, and yes. we we couldn't go to the gym. Yes, he uh, the doctor during the pandemic asked me when I when you go to the store, do you park right at the store or do you park? And I was like, sir, there is a pandemic. Dude. I don't go anywhere. I have I have like fifteen hundred square feet that I can walk around my house in, and that also, is it. That doesn't do anything. <laughs> that really doesn't. It's great if you want to park in Timbuktu. Yeah to get to the front of the grocery store, like, okay, that's a personal decision that yeah. you can make. Is there evidence that that well, apparently, makes you a healthier person? Like, the 10,000-step rule is completely arbitrary. Apparently, I would be skinny if I just parked further away. If you didn't park so <laughs> close to the door. I just love close right. parking. And then is he assuming you're also getting one of the, you know, mobility access cards? Of course. Like, I can't walk around the grocery so store. That's the I just wait for Chuck to bring a cart to the car. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. just lay myself over it yeah i don't want to waste calories moving you know if we really wanted if that was like really going to be our focus of getting people to move more then we would need to like vastly redesign our suburbs like because then the goal would be like your grocery store should be a couple blocks away and then you just walk yeah there but also we need to all we have is like a brewery we We can go get some beer but we can actually like kind of And I don't know how this is in other countries, but in our country, the idea of being fat is, like, the worst thing you can do. exactly. So, typically, the outdoors are not even a safe space for us. No, and nor are gyms. Oh, no, no, no. So, it's like, you know, our culture looks like... Listen, still at 46, when I'm walking down the street, like... I brace myself to hear, like, a bro announce to the world that I'm fat. Oh, yeah, I love that. I got called a fat, a fat whore at Target one time, and I said... Wow, so body shaming and also, But that's to say that if you don't work... But I just responded, like, okay, bro, like, I did not care. (laughs) He was an idiot. But uh, I was like, come up with something better. Like, uh, you're going to call me on the first thing you see? Like, okay, oh, that's an insult. I'm sad. <laughs> we, do, we have body diversity, and I think right. that's great. Um, and I know there's anti-fat bias in many other countries. Like, mm-hmm. oh you yeah, know, it, we're not absolving other countries of their cultural like fat stigma stuff. Yeah, but I do think that when you need to go to a medical practice, and you're afraid to do so because the norm is to automatically comment mm-hmm. on somebody's weight like that's my goal is to remove like to change the medical framework so the conundrum that I have is this like so there there is the fat liberation community people are really committed to not only like it goes beyond body positivity and yeah self-love. definitely it's let's remove oppression and stigma so that people can exist in society how they are because Weight stigma is also inherently ableist. Right. You know? yes. So the assumption that, like, you know, who cares where you park your car? Yes. And 
this assumption that like you park your car close, but like, how are you getting around the store? Like it doesn't, it, it just, it nullifies itself in a sense. Like, does it matter if you park right by the door, but you walk around like 7,000 square feet of Costco, like it doesn't matter if you also walk a few yards further to your car. And and this sticks with you. My, my mother is in her sixties, mid sixties, and she's having a lot of problems with her legs. She has worked retail her entire life. She was a retail manager. Yeah. And I'm talking in the 80s and 90s when those bitches were wearing he- heels. Yes. Like, they weren't showing up to retail in Crocs. No. They were wearing... Pencil skirts stilettos. and Exactly. And my mom is a plus-size lady, and she has been a plus-size lady. I've watched her, you know, deal with her weight. I was lucky, lucky to not have a mother who pushed that on me. I'm going to sneak was, a peek at the family photos. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was very... Okay. No. She was very open about her struggles but she never put them on me she never took me to Weight Watchers she never did any of that but in her 60s now she has incredible white coat syndrome she is Mm. scared to death of doctors she is also so afraid of being judged like we'll go places she won't sit in a wheelchair we tried to go to the Franklin Institute for something. She had to be escorted out because it was too much walking. And we're like, Mom, just just sit. Let us push you around. But she doesn't want to be that plus-size lady in a rascal. Right, because you fat, have to be the good little fat, fat and disabled yes. is like... You cause the disability. Worst nightmare. Like, beyond fatness. Like, being, you know, to be perceived to be debilitated by fatness. But, I mean, my mom has the same sort of concerns she is in her 70s and she has some chronic health issues and it took us forever to have her come around to the idea of using a motorized scooter and like she has an essential tremor she is a little wobbly and so for us it was like a real safety thing like we don't want you to be out and about and face plant yeah but it was this idea of like i can't have people perceive me in this way and so i've been like listen you were a lieutenant commander in the u.s navy yeah a nurse we know you're not soft we know two children (laughs) bodies change like why are we expecting someone's body to be the same at 73 as it was at 17 yeah you know i was like you have nothing to prove to people my mm-hmm. concern for you is your safety yes. and your happiness and well-being. And if you using your motorized scooter thing to get over to the clubhouse of your community to participate in community events, then that's great because it means that you are participating in your community. Yeah. You're you, living your life. Right, exactly. And honestly, like, no one there cares. No one cares. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really inspiring to sort of see her, you know, sort of take – ownership of that and be like yeah I'm gonna go and do the thing yeah um I'm hopeful I'm hopeful my mom has finally agreed she's gonna kill me luckily she doesn't listen to this I use too bad of language so (laughs) (laughs) so she we finally got her to like say like okay if we go to the zoo I'll let you guys push me in a wheelchair or something like that but like getting her to use a cane and and this isn't because she's fat it's not because she's a plus-size woman it's because she stood on her feet right for 60 hours a week for you know 20 years and now her legs are like no (laughs) no more you know people people's bodies change quickly you can have an you can have a really traumatic accident or you can have an illness like this is why 
healthism is so problematic because health is like, to me, it's become this really nebulous kind of cloud-like thing. Like, it doesn't have sharp edges. It is what it is for you, and it changes day to day, and it is not a right. It's a privilege. It can change at any time. Susan Sontag really writes brilliantly about this um, in terms of, like, the sick role and who occupies the sick role in society and that you can go in and out of a sick role. Like, I had COVID in November... 2020, you know, normally very healthy person. And then all of a sudden I'm in the hospital and thinking that I'm going to die. And like to, to, I had to learn to allow my body to be in that space and to give it time to heal, which took the better part of a year. But every single provider who came in there never missed the opportunity to say your BMI is your biggest risk factor. And finally, I said to one of the attendings, yeah, I get that. I'm a nurse practitioner, and also I've lived in a fat body for most of my life. Yeah, like this isn't the first time I've heard this. Right. So (laughs) does this mean you're giving me substandard care? Or like, what is the point of you telling me this? Does it change your plan of care? Does it mean I deserve substandard care? Like... Because what can we do in this moment to fix that? Right. Point? So you're you're still giving me dexamethasone and I'm still on oxygen. And I was like, but please let me know if you're going to withhold something because you think that I don't deserve to survive this and that it's my fault because yeah. I'm fat. Like, and they were really taken aback by that. And, it, and then they just try to backpedal it. And I was like, you know, we don't need to give people every single risk factor and this is like the conundrum I face as a primary care provider. Yeah. Most people are not coming in to looking for like weight loss. No, no. Or, oh. They are. Like most people are not coming in looking for a weight inclusive provider because oh, okay. society has said, yeah, you are fat and you need to lose weight. So the majority of individuals I feel like are really in distress in terms of living in their bodies yeah they're looking for acceptance in society Mm -hmm. especially if you are black and fat poor and fat yeah um your agency it will be better when right and so the perception is life will be better if i'm thinner i will get a better job i will get paid more i'll have access to clothing and I mean, but they're not wrong. No, they aren't. So this is the conundrum. So in Fat Live, we're like, knock it all down. Remove stigma. Remove oppression. Yeah. You know, like, we're really about intersectionality and stuff like that. And, but there's this component of if people are not yet divested from diet culture. Yes. It's like, well, something's wrong with you. And I was like, but you got to understand that. We've told people all their lives they should want weight loss. Yes. So it makes sense to me that you're coming to me seeking my clinical expertise Mm. on how to achieve this. And in a 20-minute visit, I'm not going to be able to say, well, here's why you shouldn't want this. Nor is that my place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, you know, it often feels really hard for me because patients want like some sort of prescription Mm -hmm. and I am never going to be so callous as to write on a prescription pad you know take a daily walk but walk 20 minutes a day if you can may want a medication (laughs) or they do want a referral to bariatric surgery and so my focus right now is on a lot of informed consent Mm -hmm. like let's talk about what you envision for your life like 
what what are you envisioning when you think about losing weight? Like what's stopping you now. Yeah, like what's what's in your in your head, and also what happens if it didn't come to fruition? Mm-hmm. What happens if you didn't lose the weight you wanted, or what happens if you gained it back? Like, yeah, let's talk about those feelings. Let's talk about how you feel in your body. But I have a lot of people who say like, I feel like I wouldn't have back pain if I was so many pounds lighter, mm-hmm. and. You know, that's really valid. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, that might be true, but it also might not be true. Depending yeah. On, we know, don't, like, let's for your figure mom. out why you have back pain first. Right, exactly. Yes. Let me ask this, Suzanne. If you're done that thought, what, is there something that you would suggest weight loss for? Like, is there something legitimately that if we go to the doctor that they're not just bullying us? Like, they're not we just always make the yeah. jokes, you know, you show up at the ER with a broken arm and it's, like, hanging off, yeah. and they're like, well, you should really get that BMI down. And it's like, well, can we deal with this first? But, like, is there ever a, a time when the doctor is genuinely suggesting weight loss because that is the only... Or the fastest way to do something. I haven't had this experience with a patient, but in you know, if I imagine a scenario or think about a scenario, it would be someone who, where has is feels excessively debilitated Mm. by their body size, um, or where they have a number of medical conditions, and and really, it has to be what the patient is feeling because. There's no weight at which I'm going to say, like, this, this is, is the number one. This is the number. You're too much. Right. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. or the pant size. Yeah. But if someone is, like, I'm, you know, expressing, like, I can't do the thing. Quality of life for me is big. So if someone yeah. is expressing to me, wow, I feel my, like my quality of life is really yeah. suffering. Um, and this might make a difference. I'm willing to have that conversation. I have a very hard time reaching for the bariatric surgery recommendation because that is so radical and irreversible and has really different repercussions for every person. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is like a fast way to produce weight loss, which is why people will often ask for it. Yeah, I have several friends who have gotten it, and it was based on... Uh, medical issues that they've had for years and years and years that they just weren't getting any relief from. They've been trying for 20 years. And finally it came to, they were like, well, this is the only thing we haven't tried yet. So they went through with it and, you know, you see their, you see their body weight drop. And I'm constantly, like, asking for updates, like, is that other thing fixed yet? Like, has, right. that, has that thing happened yet? It creates its own problems, too. You yeah. don't have to worry about vitamin deficiencies. Yes. A lot of people struggle with, um, like, different sort of things, like, we call dysphagia or a globus sensation, like, when they're swallowing. Mm. I know a girl who has to get B2 shots because yeah. she doesn't get enough nutrients. Right. So, so you have to be willing to trade. You're not trading for necessarily. No, it oh, is, this is going to be better. No, it you're is, not eating French fries on the beach right. with a bikini on. You're never you're trying eating again. to survive, <laughs> so your hair stops falling out. Yes. So usually, what happens is someone is saying, "I'm desiring weight loss." I'm not the one saying, "I think it's time you consider weight loss." Yeah. Um, right. And 
considering that we feel that humans should have bodily autonomy and agency. Well, some of us do. Right. Yes. <laughs> Keep abortion rights legal. <laughs> <laughs> Free abortions for your first try. I mean, not in this country, Suzanne. <laughs> right. But I, okay, let, I'll backpedal it. I feel that people should have bodily autonomy and agency. Yes. And therefore, if someone says to me, I'd like to meet with a bariatric surgeon, surgeon to consider weight loss surgery, I don't say, well, I'm sorry, I'm a weight-inclusive provider and I don't yeah. believe in that, so therefore, no. Yeah. Like, we can't do that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to present the risks versus benefits. But weight loss surgery is absolutely not um, a rub the lamp and a genie comes out and gives you a better life. It really is a lot of work mm-hmm. and a significant trade-off. Um, some people... It's a glorious experience for them. They lose a lot of weight. Their health issues resolve. They, you know, their social capital increases. And they they hate fat people even more. Right. Yeah, like. <laughs> we, I did it. Why don't you do it? We've talked about, like, the Let me tell you people. about my personal lord and savior, Gastric Quartet. <laughs> right. And then, but for a majority of people, there no will judgment. be some sort of frustration, whether it's I can no longer eat the food that I enjoy or I have a lot of extra skin, or mm. this problem that I thought would resolve didn't resolve, or I actually had a really severe complication. Like you I just... still have herpes. I really <laughs> thought it was going to help. It did not. <laughs> so I try to prepare people for that. I also try to really look at p- barriers that would set people up for, that may preclude people from being quote-unquote successful if they're going to do something like a weight loss surgery procedure because if you don't have housing security if you don't have food security if you don't have access to things like a microwave and a blender and a stove and you can't afford supplements and protein like it's a full-time job to maintain like your post-surgery life yeah even though you're not eating the way maybe a normal person (laughs) normal that's so rude the way (laughs) that most people not exceptional you're still gonna you're still you're still gotta have that you still have that planning and it's expensive it takes a lot of planning like if you're gonna take a road trip you can't just be like oh i'm gonna stop you know on the turnpike and get something at the Roy rest Rogers. stop for a Roy snack. Rogers. If you're from Pickle New Jersey, Bar. every rest oh, yeah, stop has a Roy Rogers. Yeah. Can we go to a rest stop after this? So a lot of people just aren't prepared for that life shift and that work. Yeah. Well, I still do think in a lot of ways it's presented as that magic pill. It is. And, it absolutely is. you know... There comes, because, you know, I always have mixed feelings about this, because when I hear that someone wants to do it, my heart automatically breaks, because I know what is pushing you up against this. Right. It's the pain you're feeling in everyday life is making you make this decision. Right. So, you know, it kind of always breaks my heart, but I do feel like it's often painted as a magic pill when afterwards you have so much to contend with. Like you said, yeah. like you're still going to be in diet mode. Yeah. You're going to always have to think about what you're putting in your mouth. You're going to have to. And that's the thing about dieting that I hate is having to think so extensively about something I need to survive. 
Right. So I had a lap band. I should just be able to take a bite out of anything. Sorry. Exactly. I had a lap band procedure in 2012. So I had had a health issue in 2010, and I was put on a medication. And, you know, I was already in a larger body to begin with, and then through the course of the steroids, gained more weight. And my specialist was like, you know, you're just not going to be able to lose this, and so I think you should have weight loss surgery. And we did the lap band at the time. We don't do it anymore. Mm. And I had it, and it was okay. I think I had, like, six good months before, like, you know, we had to take the fluid out of the band, and there were so many doctor's appointments and so many scans where I had to drink barium. You do the barium swallow, and it's gross, and they watch it go through your digestive tract. (laughs) And then I ended up with such severe restriction that then I couldn't eat at all. Like, I would, any food I would eat, literally probably five to ten minutes in, I would have to excuse myself from the table to vomit it up. And So you're clearly, like, you couldn't even go to dinner right, with friends. Right, so, yeah. And, so it made you bulimic without meaning to. Yeah. And, like, did I lose some weight? Yes, but not as much as they had estimated. Mm-hmm. And so then it was, are you eating enough protein? Are you exercising enough? Like, and I was like, I'm vomiting my food up every time. What else do you want me to do in life? <laughs> yeah. So I had it removed. Yeah. And luckily did not have significant long-term complications. But if you have the gastric sleeve or the ruin Y, like, there's no removing that Mm. once that happens. How long after did you remove your... Four years. In 2016, I got it removed finally. Because I was actually starting to have physical, like, abdominal pain then. Mm. Because scar tissue formed under oh. the band so it was like having a rubber band and then a rubber band underneath it now how were people's reaction so let's put it this way so looking at the world in like average size people and our people the average size of a woman in the united states is size 16 which is a plus size so us I don't <laughs> but i'm wondering was there anyone in your life being like i wouldn't remove it no, and honestly, like, I didn't lose enough weight to, to get out of a BMI category where I would be considered normal, like, and that's the thing, and then it was, at every appointment, it was like, well, you're not trying hard enough. I'm just going to start high-fiving doctors when they're like, you got a high BMI, and I'm be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, I just, overachiever. <laughs> so, in preparation, I just looked up me and Kevin's BMIs last night, and I was very excited. Kevin does not appreciate <laughs> excited to tell Kevin he's no longer obese. Now, you have seen my husband. He is at, so a 30 and above is obese. Yeah. He is a 29.4. Okay. So in in this world, they think that Kevin, in this BMI world, I don't, I don't but live in the BMI world. But he's still not normal. He's still, he's, but he's like 0.6 away from being obese. Like, do you, like, no, he's I, a normal looking human Chuck being. Chuck is such a loser because of his BMI. It's so low. Oh. Obese means to literally, like, eat oneself fat. That's what it means. Like, Oh, I looked up the dictionary and it said grossly fat. And I was like, rude. Like, yeah. I, well, okay, we're going to call obese scientific and then we're going to call it grossly fat is the definition. Right. I'm going to need you to read that. Yes, yes. But, you know, I, Megan is right. Like, when people get to that point of wanting to have a surgical procedure, they're in a lot of distress. Yes. And so I'm like, this is why we need to remove the overall stigma and oppression, because would we have people clamoring for this Mm -hmm. if 
They weren't they, in pain. Right. If they didn't, if they had clothes they could shop for, yeah. if there were restaurant seats you could fit into, if airplanes didn't kick you off because your hips aren't 16 inches across. Like, it's... Airplane seats are not built for any human. No, they're built for children. We have yes. to just, being in the bodies we're in, we just have to put so much more thought into everything. And, like, one of the things during the pandemic is I've been doing a lot of, like, work on myself. And one of the things that I keep coming back to is being so, like, immersed in this culture since birth. <laughs> I've been thinking about the amount of shame I carried at, like, my first Weight Watchers meeting at, like, nine years old, thinking I did this to myself. And when I think of that now, I'm like, how did that little girl think she did this much damage? Right. You didn't have control over, like, anything. But you just carry that shame throughout. And it's like, when I sit there and think about that poor little girl, Mm -hmm. like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like... That And that's kind of what I think most of us are going through. Like, we still have this level of shame because I'm fat. Oh, my gosh. I had a boyfriend once tell me in high school when I was eating. We were at, like, a barbecue. And I was eating a, a cheeseburger. And I was, I didn't get, I didn't get full-figured until puberty. So before puberty, I was skin and bones. And then I hit puberty, and it was like, oh, no, you're a woman, and, like, yeah. everything got big. Um, but I had a boyfriend say to me at a barbecue, uh, I don't know if you guys recall the line from, I believe, Tommy Boy, but I was eating this cheeseburger, and he said, I can actually hear you getting fatter. <gasps> no. Not only did I, I continue. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just only, kidding. Kevin would never say that. Not only did I continue to, like, be friends and, and date this guy, but then I dated him again when I was 27 as an adult, and I was like my mom was just like what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> and conditioned to accept this kind of treat and at that point I right. wasn't fat enough for him because then he liked fat ladies oh, wow. and he was just like I really thought you were Sounds- gonna be like fun and go out to eat and do all this stuff but I was so anxious being around him probably because of my high school experience with him well, yeah. that I didn't want to eat because my stomach was in knots and I wasn't smart enough at that age to know these are bad signs. These are signs that something is not right. And so I never ate around him. I didn't. And he was just like, you're so weird. Like, why are you being so weird? And I'm just like, I don't know. And like now as a 40 year old, I mean, probably now, (laughs) now as a 40 year old, I can be like, Oh, I know why I didn't want to fucking eat around you. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to swear? (laughs) I I know why I didn't want to eat around you because you're a dickhole. Because you were so mean to me and and just blatantly rude. And I get that that was on him. Like, I, I definitely Kanye'd a friend that I just met. Uh, I met her for the first time over a meeting. And I, you know, we were talking about something. And I, I basically cut her off and said, well, America hates fat people. <laughs> and, I, and she just stared at me for a second. And I was like, oh, this is like when Kanye said that George Bush hates white people. Yeah. Uh, and Mike Myers <laughs> is just standing there like, wait, George Bush hates black people, not white people. George Bush loves white people. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so like I just, I didn't realize how much this stuff was affecting me. Mm-hmm. Do you, just to get back to medical, did you feel that um, when you have patients that are in larger bodies, that when they get to interact with you, they're like, oh, thank God. It's a human being who is going yeah. to then treat me like a human being. 
Some people, yes. Okay. So, I will, um, and I think, you know, this is, like, trauma that we fail to account for when people are pursuing intentional weight loss. Like, yeah. you're, it's not just, you really have to work on that sense of shame and things like that. Otherwise, people are not going to be able to see themselves any differently, regardless of the body size they're in. So I usually will tell patients who are new to me or new to, you know, that I practice from a weight-inclusive perspective and sort of what my expectations of our relationship is, which is that, like, I don't require that you get weighed. I don't require, you know, I don't require that we talk about your weight or your BMI. I'm not going to ask you to be a certain, like, weight for your height. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Seriously. Gives me a little extra. I, my BMI, room. I'm supposed to be 160 pounds maximum. That was me in eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> I weighed that in eighth yeah, grade. Yeah, I think you must be, like, to walk in and see a practitioner like you, I, and, well, and just knowing you to, like, you see the person. Like, and I don't feel yeah. like I get seen a lot. Plus, let's right. just say nurses are going to be better anyway. Nurses are there <laughs> to, <laughs> nurses and nurse practitioners are there for the patient. Doctors are there for the uh, practice of medicine, Well, the I way feel we like. learn as nurses is about helping people adapt yeah. to what's going on in their lives. Like, I didn't, I wasn't trained to be solely like a diagnostician. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the medical model that yeah. we have. Like, you're, you're trained sort of like a mechanic, like... Source the problem, make a plan to fix the problem, fix the problem. But whatever else is going on in someone's life that may contribute to the problem or not, you're not worried about. But that's what I love about nursing, and that's why I chose to be a nurse and a nurse practitioner. But I do try to see the whole person. It can be hard because we have really hard jobs and very Mm -hmm. short amounts of time with patients. But I try to give a little introductory spiel so people know what I'm about um, and when I do have encounters with people who are like, you know, I really do want to lose weight, like, I will say, like, okay, like, we're, this is a, a medical thing that we're doing, you're going to need to be monitored, we're going to need to have check-ins, like, if you're taking a medication, you know, we're going to need to make sure we do labs and things like that, like, whereas I think sort of the uh, culture a lot of times is like, you know, here's fentramine. I'll see you when I see you. Yeah. Um, and fentramine is a stimulant appetite suppressing medication. That's so. what I wanted mm. to tell you. So you were talking about your doctor experience. I had a gynecologist. So I had a menstruation issue where I had polyps. It was a whole thing. I was bleeding nonstop. You seem so shy talking about menstruation when that's like the main main topic of our podcast. That was like the weirdest. <laughs> Jane, we talk I'm so like, graphically about menstruation on this podcast regularly. I just tried to make it so much better. So anyway, I was bleeding like a shot pig. I went. To the um, the doctor prescribed fenteramine. Which has no bearing on what's going on with and the I'm uterus. Like, well, well, if you I were skinnier, you wouldn't have a gun wound. With <laughs> speed, and I'm still bleeding. But right. you're faster. You're Did bleeding faster. Did they get faster. confused and think that, like, 
there's some sort of like hormonal component to that many. I just like I was so like broken at that point because I had this medical issue and I came in and the the female doctor was like well, did you ever think about losing weight instantly? Because I was so upset about what was going on in the nether That's region. That's really common in like. GYN I started crying, stuff. and here I come out with like prescriptions—a step-down prescription situation of fentanyl—and I'm like, all I got was speed. Like, yeah. What the f? There seems to be this. <laughs> I see this a lot, like you know, because I've worked in several different practices, and um, in GYN notes coming back where like. That's a recommendation when someone complains about menstrual, like, dysregulation. Like, either they're not getting their period or they're getting it too frequently or it's too heavy. or yeah. And especially around fertility. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that should not be, like, the low-hanging fruit you're jumping to. Like, it's really easy to order a transvaginal and abdominal ultrasound just, just to get a picture yeah. of what's going on. You know, like, If I knew it was easy, I would have been doing it a lot more. Like... Just for funsies? Yeah. If you have on a Saturday. Fibroid in your uterus, like <laughs> dropping 50 pounds yeah. or whatever is not going to affect that fibroid. Right. But yeah, I see that so much in the GYN perspective where like at the end of the note, the plan is like, and you know, recommend weight loss. But like, that's not yeah. the problem. Oh yeah, no. But this I- is why I have an IUD because now I don't have to do that. <laughs> if you go to the doctors for anything, the bottom of the notes is always going to include. So if you're going for a sinus infection, you know, Jamie yeah. has a sinus infection. Also, we discussed her weight. I, I feel like mine always- just always says fat with like a highlight and a circle. <laughs> so I got this question Wednesday night in our like webinar thing, which is like, well, what happens if I'm a provider and like I don't get someone's weight, and then do I do we not get re- reimbursed for the visit and I was like I mean oh that's an insurance thing well I'm not an insurance expert I am (laughs) I'm not I'm not you know like I don't do billing and coding but I was like I'm pretty sure that like just make a weight up. There's, what was my weight last time? Just right, write like, that in. Thing. Like, you're scared you're going to get not going to get paid? It's, I'm not saying I never it. weigh patients, but, yeah. like, you don't need a weight if you come in for an acute issue. Like, once a year. Yeah. You know, but if you're coming in for some, you know, a medication check or some other acute thing, like, I don't need to weigh you, like, every single visit. Also, yeah. or check your height. Like, if you're an adult, your height's really not going to be changing. <laughs> now, if, if I, Nina, if I get up to seven feet tall, it's an issue. <laughs> now, Nina, Nina was getting weighed by her psychiatrist regularly. Are they on an antipsychotic? Because then that could make sense. But No, you know. no, she was, she, so she was seeing, we, we had discussed this on the show, that's the only reason I'm bringing it up, Tippa. Um, Nina had been seeing a, her um, counselor who then recommended her to a psychiatrist yeah. for her anxiety pills or whatever she takes. And they were weighing her every time and discussing my fitness pal. So I guess the question I have no is, like, how do we as... Scope, people. Scope. How do we feel... Um, how do we know when it's appropriate to, uh, I know we have the right to say, no, no, yeah. you can't have my weight. But Here's like for me, thing. like I'll do it at my primary because I know that that's, I mean, I just don't care. I, I just make a, them weigh me a metric because then I don't know what it is. Do you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's something. Um, but like, how do we know when it's appropriate or inappropriate? Because I feel like Nina's, Nina's psychiatrist is it weighing dead? her, I told her to shit on her couch, but Nina's psychiatrist was weighing her and then every single visit discussing the same 
my fitness pal every single week and Nina Nina didn't even realize that that was not okay okay so I'll address that part but I do want to say like with the insurance thing your visits will get reimbursed if you if you don't have a weight there are specific circumstances like if your patient wants insure as a nutritional supplement you need a current weight Mm -hmm. if you are recommending if someone is getting a referral for weight loss surgery you need a weight and you also need to use a diagnosis code of obesity and i always discuss this with patients like just letting you know this is what's going to show up as the diagnosis code on that referral because otherwise your insurance isn't going to pay for this and our goal is to you play never even think about the that. insurance that's why game. Suzanne's good mm-hmm. so I had this conversation because it is alarming when you get your after visit summary and you find out they thought you were a land whale the whole time Wait, yeah. and, and they didn't even so talk pissed. to you about it I'm like F her. Yeah. They just called me obese, grossly overweight. But insurance companies give quality dollars for recording things like a hemoglobin A1C for your diabetic patients, mm. recording a BMI. So you'll still get reimbursed for the visit, but if you're. Is it like bingo? It's fat bingo? You got to. <laughs> practice wants to get extra money for these arbitrary things that insurance companies make up because they perceive that to be a. Yes. People receiving certain quality of health, then you might not get it if you don't have BMIs for everybody. But what I say is like, no, it's not appropriate for your psychiatrist to weigh you unless you're on medication where a chief adverse effect is weight gain, mm-hmm. like Zyprexa or antipsychotics. Like mm-hmm. in that case, it might be important to monitor, but you can also. Work in conjunction with Did someone's... I just out Nina for being on antipsychotics? She's probably... <laughs> no, I don't think she is. But I'm sorry. That's the thing. The doctor doesn't need to discuss right. fitness pal every yes. time. So yeah. you can work in conjunction with their primary care doctor. Yeah. Um, and then, no, it's not appropriate to discuss my fitness pal with someone when that was not what they wanted to discuss. Especially like, when it's every single... Right. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> I are you going to the psychiatrist? Like, unless you're going to psychiatrist for some sort of, like, hypnotherapy for weight loss, okay, yeah. maybe that's appropriate. But if you're talking about things not weight loss related, it's not appropriate for a provider to say, oh, hey, have you heard of my fitness pal? I think it would be really great for you. Yeah. I'd be like, this is the most boring conversation. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about menstruation. You're like really a one-trick pony. I am. I, I really felt empowered after we met the last time and had, you know, the, the discussion on the podcast. So I actually sought out a new primary caregiver and a liver, liver specialist, you know, um, from your recommendation. But like the my primary, I literally, the first meeting sat down with her said this was my last experience with a doctor I am not an idiot I have been fat for a long time you do not need to tell me about diets or calorie counting or anything else because I already know it all I'm you're not going to tell me anything I don't know at and this let's point remember physicians and even nurse practitioners we're not dietitians we are not exercise right. physiologists I get so nervous when patients are like what should I be eating and oh. I'm like I don't know. What do you have access to? What's your budget? Are you on food stamps? Are you not? Like, are you vegan, vegetarian, lactose intolerant? Like, right. Yeah. I'm like, eat what you want to eat, but also, like... Does it make you feel bad? Stop eating it. Right. Like, you probably you stop know, eating if you're that. getting a tummy ache from something, maybe don't eat that. But yeah. there's really, like... I don't... I can't prescribe diets. Yeah. I mean, I've been to a nutritionist through my doctor, through doctor recommendation, and I mean years and years ago before I had liver issues. And 
I was really kind of excited because I was like, yes, I'm going to find out the key. And all she did was telling me the same shit I already Portion know and, and told me I was dehydrated. And I was like, this is not helpful. None well, of this is people helpful. Are like, de- people, there are symptoms to acute dehydration. <laughs> like there are. Yeah. People don't walk around like de- the same way we don't walk around like full of toxins. Like, Drink your water, but also people will say, like, how much water should I drink in a day? Well, do you eat fruits and veggies? Because that has water. Yeah, yeah. do you like, drink coffee? Yeah, do you I drink mean, coffee? Do you drink other beverages? Like Vodka is yeah. clear like water? Oh, it looks just like it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I drink that a lot of that. So, you know, I'm like, this is where I'm like, wow, this is what people think that I should know. Like, And I don't consider that to be my scope per se. Yeah. yeah. And I will utilize interdisciplinary colleagues dietitians can be hard because it can just be the same old calorie counts um and portion sizes and we do need to recognize that a lot of people in our society like it is a distinct privilege to have a lot of choice around Mm -hmm. the foods that you eat and how you prepare them and when you eat them and how you exercise and when you exercise. Like, I don't know why we think that the vast majority of Americans like have this privilege. I mean, in Philadelphia alone, like if we look at the fitness space and I'm sure Megan can speak to this from her yoga teacher experiences, but like, let's look at who's typically in fitness classes. Mm -hmm. Who's typically at Whole Foods? Mm -hmm. Who, you know, who are people who are going on vacations and running along Kelly Drive and things like that? Yuppies. It's a lot, it's a lot of white folks. And a a lot of younger white folks. Like, Oh, are you calling me? Oh, I'm an older white folk. No, but yeah, the, no, you're just old. like fitness older, obsession. Older, older. Like, really has come like absolutely yeah. came in strong in like the 2010s and stuff. Like, well, even and I in yoga, like the 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 thing changing yoga is like there's been that switch to Namaste in bed all day or <laughs> like, we co- first we co-opted yoga to be fitness. You right. didn't go to yoga to engage with a spiritual and cultural practice. Yeah. You went to get fit and to do like pose hierarchy stuff and basically be like and who's the best right. in the room. Right. I and do, that's I right. mean that's Jamie, why I go. Jamie I'm is head worst. competitive. People yoga. people do stuff and I'm like, "Look, mom, I can do it too." And I like make Megan I'm the worst. I mean, I'm big definitely facilitated that with his crazy shenanigans and assault on people but yes you know the populations that I've typically worked with are people who are like my kids don't play outside because the neighborhood isn't safe and if we want to go to a park I have to drive them out of our neighborhood to go to somewhere that I perceive is safe and it's like the majority of our society is just not aware of the intense stress and that most of our communities are living in. Yeah. They don't have a shop. farmer's market. Right. You know what I mean? Like, in a lot of areas, there's this plentiful um, access to beautiful, like, produce and stuff like that. In food deserts, you're not getting that. The local farmer is not like, hey, let's have... Which is why... Let's go to Camden. The shooting in Buffalo, you know, that terroristic white supremacist attack was not just about 
people being attacked in a grocery store. That grocery store was a community hub and one of the mm-hmm. few places people could go to get food. Yeah. Right. And, and they that, had fought for it. Yes. And now they can't even safely get food. And that like that's what I'm I try to convey to the wider world. And so a lot of us who have this privilege of sort of being at peace with our bodies, we have a lot of other intersecting privileges. Most people are still going to want to pursue intentional weight loss because they haven't been in therapy for 12 years with a, you know, someone who's helping them work through this. They get paid less. They have fewer job opportunities. Plus, if you're, so I, when I worked, when I was a, I was a barista for years and I was a plus size barista and I was on my feet you know, eight to 10 hours a day running, running around in circles, you know, getting coffees made, making sure things were heated, cleaning things up. I did not stop moving. I was still a fat lady. I was still a fat lady and my ass was running all day long. And it's, but even like hormone, like we, like when our bodies feel like they're in trouble, they hold on to things, right? Like, so if you're living in a constantly stressed environment, even like, that thing, like, you're working 12 hours a day on your feet, yeah. you're in stress, but then you put it into the greater population, how much more weight are they just holding on to just because of their life? And if like, people are working so two jobs stressful. to make ends meet, they're not going to the gym after their second shift because, you know, white America wants, <laughs> wants them right. to be a certain like, body size. when the pandemic started? I am white American. Do- <laughs> And the dude in Belmar, like, refused to close his gym. Like, that is... He's running for Congress. He's running for Congress. That's scary. I didn't need to know that. But, like... Welcome to New Jersey. That is evidence of just a huge amount of privilege to Mm -hmm. be able to say, you know what? I don't care about the health and welfare of other people, and I'm going to do what I want. And literally, because he can. Like, fatness, if you read... I recommend everyone read, like, Deshaun Harrison's Belly of the Beast or Sabrina Strings's um, Fearing the Black Body. Like, fat- oh, I have that we'll one. I haven't, gotten, on I haven't gotten through it yet. Fatness is not a, just about being fat. Fatness is correlated with poverty, with skin color, with intelligence, with a whole lot of other perceptions. It's a way, it's the way we continue to other people in society mm-hmm. because... In the country that we live in, we've always needed a way to distinguish who is better than someone else. Yeah. And, or, you well, know. And it used to be the, the fat revolution. people were the rich people. And then they were like, wait. Well, it's always, <laughs> it's always been whiteness yes. and white maleness. Yes. Well, how do you calm down the masses? You tell them, like, they're not like the others. Like, so all the people fighting the against their own yeah. best interest are usually doing it because... Well, I was going to say because they're bootleggers, but... Bootlickers? Uh, yeah. Bootlickers. Not bootleggers. No, I don't bootlickers. know what that means. Like, a bootlicker is like... Like a I think Like I a think, suck up? I think Elon Musk is great. And yeah. it's like, yeah, like but he's noser. working okay. against you. Okay. It's, I think it's in reference are we, to the Are police. we trying to avoid saying yes. Trump? Are we trying no. to... Oh, okay. No, I'm saying bootlickers. <laughs> people... You can cup bootlicker but i love it (laughs) like you know so when this country starts you know first of all there's already people here indigenous folks but (laughs) yeah but we'll just 
I just found out, somebody just told me that when we go to the doctors, a portion of the insurance that is spent, or like a portion of whatever is charged is then put into a, a fund for indigenous people. And apparently that's supposed to make us feel better. Okay. I was we like, are I am going to look people. into that. I was like, that, I, was like, I never heard of that. Because... And they're like, are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah, they can have it. I think they should just be able to go to the doctors. Right. <laughs> Fuck insurance. <laughs> so <laughs> at first, first, you know, we can separate because, you know, we have white Europeans come over and then we have slave trade and then so it's pretty distinct who is you know who is master who is slave but then you start having mixed folks and it's like well how do we determine who they are and what their position in society is because they're are they you know white or black or and this is when we start seeing like not just fatness sort of become like pathologized but it's like this gluttony of appetite so you're a lesser person because you're perceived to just be gluttonous in all ways like if we think about like the jezebel tropes and just Mm -hmm. like people you know this happens when um girls go through puberty like suddenly it's all about like hypersexuality and and i'm not articulating this well because it's been a long week and my brain hurts. But that's what I love about Sabrina's So well, if you lost work. some weight, your brain might feel better. Exactly. Because <laughs> she really helps to articulate how all of these things intersect throughout history. Like, it's not an accident that we have the stigmas and oppressions that we have. They're very purposeful. Right. And they're purposeful in keeping very specific people at the top of the food chain. And so... It's easy, right, you know, we pretty much know at this point in history, like, it's not appropriate to be homophobic, transphobic, racist, misogynist. It doesn't stop them, but yeah. No, it doesn't. But, like, there's some sort of, like, general societal understanding that... That is always going to be bad. Right, and that, and, but, because it's in this category, like, substance use of, like, a moral failing. Mm -hmm. So you're morally inferior because you can't control your appetites. You don't have discipline and self-control. I still feel like society as a whole is nicer to addicts then uh, I don't know what it is with just... Well, because we had a reckoning with that, and, you know, substance use is now medicalized. Yes. And we have things like Vivitrol and Suboxone, and and that's what we're doing with fatness now. I hear... Obesity is a disease that we Mm -hmm. can treat. I hear a lot, and I hear a lot of, like, fat haters on the internet, like, uh, if you're on Reddit, or I'm an old lady, so Reddit, I don't know TikTok, I'm too old Reddit for that. Reddit overwhelms me, like, but, I don't know where to start and where it is. But a lot of the fat hate is justified through, well, you're making our insurance rates no, go up. Or, and I'm like, most fat people don't go to the doctors, exactly. so forget that. No, they, they did that, so there was, like, a point where, like, health insurance went wild. Like, you're raising premiums, and there was this focus on fat people raising premiums. And I'm like, why right, isn't it? God forbid we blame capitalism. I wanted to blame pregnant women. I was like, you require a lot of care. Can we just can we just blame men? Let's just blame men Um, for getting women pregnant. Let's blame. Let's blame. Just kidding. I love from three child free humans. (laughs) Um, But wait, and my point of that is the silliness of the argument because. When I look at it, my fat friends go to the doctors way less than women who are yes. pregnant. And I want 
civilization to continue. So I say that very tongue in cheek, but I'm like, it's that perceived evil like that we do in this country that all immigrants are coming into this country and stealing our jobs, raping our women and bringing drugs in. You know, it's that same, well, fat people screwed up health insurance. And they're making the wait times at Domino's longer. (laughs) It's our fault. Right. There's always has to be a scapegoat. And I feel like because we live in this country where we have this rhetoric of, like, bootstrapping, like, I really pulled myself up. Despite the trust fund I had and all that generational wealth. (laughs) Whatever. Like, someone always has to be the scapegoat. Like, insurance premiums don't go up because... Fat folks tax the system. Insurance premiums go up because we have a for-profit medical industrial complex. It's great. For-profit pharmaceutical industrial complex. Yeah. Like it, and it doesn't actually serve Hashtag truth people. Suzanne, like it just people can't access medical care. Most people are not accessing <laughs> medical. Like our care. whole country's not using it. Right. We would. I wouldn't need to work at a federally qualified health center if medical care were plentiful and everyone we're using it. Yeah. You know, we need to look at a more sustainable system because in this country we love to like, you know, we don't want to provide um, cost effective and affordable insulin to people who have diabetes. Thank you. That's one of the big ones. We will pay, the government will pay for your dialysis when your kidneys are shot because you couldn't afford the insulin that was $700 a month. Like we're always like, retroactive yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the government does pay for dialysis. In South Africa, it there is like a process to choose who gets access to dialysis. In the United States, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess we failed you up until this point, so we should just keep you alive. But you're not going to get a kidney transplant, probably. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And so... Yes, it's easy to scapegoat fat people, people with mental illness, people with substance use disorders, um, because clearly everybody else is perfect and in control of everything else. Well, we always need someone to look down at. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, truthfully, it's kind of the model is as long as you, we we don't really look up as much as we look You can't have billionaires if you don't have poverty. Absolutely. You just can't, like. You can't. And so, like, there are reasons why we these systems exist, because yeah. they preference certain other people. So, with that said, this is one of the things I was thinking about, and Jamie and I kind of talked about this loosely. Medically, what does fat mean? What is fat? There is, like, no medical definition. Like, you it's know... It's all based on BMI, right? Yeah, but the BMI was made up, well, originally. It's like tiny little Englishmen. To France, (laughs) to a guy whose name I can't pronounce, so please read Aubrey Gordon's article on this. Um, And then it gets adopted by Ansel Keys, who is like a metabolic researcher who decides, okay, this is how we're going to like quantify fatness and health and things like that. And then it becomes the BMI in the modern times. And then medicine adopts it and the WHO and such adopt it. But like, to me, it's like, it's like made up. Yeah. Like it's Mm -hmm. like, it, 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 it's like Santa Claus. It only, and I love Santa Claus, but it only exists because we believe in it. It, it doesn't exist as like. I'm sorry. A, are you telling me that Santa Claus only exists because you believe in him? Yes, I believe in the magic of Santa Claus. No, it's because he brings gifts. <laughs> but only to the privileged. But like, it's like it's not like 
a valid, you can't, like, there's no validity to it as a tool. Like, you couldn't run a scientific experiment on the BMI and get, like, a valid result kind of thing. We believe in it. We manipulate it to serve our needs. Because in the 90s, the WHO made some adjustments, and overnight, millions of people were fat. And, like, hadn't gained weight. Yeah. It was just the change in the system. But it serves pharmaceutical companies. It serves medical industrial complex. It serves all of our, you know, milk, dairy, agriculture, whatever lobbies. Like, Mm -hmm. nothing is, like, everything's inextricably linked. And so, to me, I'm like, you know, your body size is your body size. It's the vessel you come in. It changes over time. Yeah. You know, it could be here one day and not here the next. It can be in good condition one day and not the next. Things sag. Things Gravity enacts its forces. <laughs> um, just, to, just to kind of start to wind down, I guess my question is, do you see it getting better? Do you see it? Do you see the generations getting better? I think you kind of acknowledge that one of the biggest problems is, is that so many people that should be on our team <laughs> that are, you know, the the commonality is that we're all in this BMI obesity category are working against us because of so much mm-hmm. um, learned self-hate. But do you see the generations coming, uh, getting better at this? Do you see this hopefully? I mean, I know we can't make a lot of change as long as there are certain people in charge of the country, but do you see it getting better, I guess? Well, I am a perennial pessimist, so, but I'm going to take that hat off. Um, Channel I think, me, Suzanne. I know. Megan's, I'm like, God, Megan and her damn optimist. <laughs> I want to say I do see it getting better because I'm really encouraged by these movements that we have. And um, another great resource is the recent uh not episode, issue of Pipe Wrench Magazine that was a whole fat issue which has some fantastic voices in it. And I'm really encouraged by those Pipe voices. Wrench? Yeah, like Pipe and Wrench. Is it a tool magazine? No, it's oh, it not. Oh, it's the plumber? It's, the it's a plumber magazine? Yeah, plumbers, but it's online. <laughs> it's not like on the newsstand. But yeah. Marky Sell... Plumbers are very progressive in the liberation <laughs> movement. Marky Sell and Mer- Mercedes and Monica Creedy, who are two people who I really respect and, you know, will say, like, inspire me to lift my voice up in this, you know, community... I think as long as we continue to have people pushing the same way we have in other movements, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think it's ever going to be resolved. Like, we're still fighting for LGBTQ rights and mm-hmm. safety, and we're still fighting for black rights and safety, and we're still fighting for women. I mean, the ERA was never even passed in all 50 states. So I am encouraged because there are people out there who I can stand in solidarity with, mm-hmm. and I will continue to hammer away at the medical framework. Mm-hmm. Um, to get people to be more compassionate and empathetic and to see people as human and bodies are bodies and you are there, like medicine is not, cannot continue to be this hierarchical, patriarchal thing where doctors are considered these people we put on pedestals who have all the expertise and the knowledge in the world. Validate your patient's experiences validate their feelings 
and get to know them. Listen, mm-hmm. listen when they talk. That right. was that was one of the really frustrating things about my doctor experience was I had already told him I was involved in spin class, I was involved in yoga, and then he's writing me a prescription to take a walk. And I'm like, you didn't listen to it's a fucking word I said. It is one thing for me that I could be very jaded about this whole situation, but knowing there's people like you fighting the fight. Yeah. I get inspiration. Thanks. I hope all of our listeners had their, uh, you know, pens out. Is that what people do? Write things down? Um, so write down. Show notes, show notes. You gave us so many good names and articles and yeah. people to look up. I really hope you do what you can to research for yourself, for your loved ones. I know I'm not just doing it for me. I'm doing it for the little girls in my family and the little girls in my life. That sounds weird, but like, you know, <laughs> my goddaughter, my niece, the children, because I don't want them to go through. I don't want them to think it's okay for a boy to say, I can hear you getting fatter Absolutely, while you're eating yeah. a cheeseburger, which is right. normal at a bar- barbecue. Um, but any last thoughts that you want to share with everybody, either about what you're up to, what you're doing, you can give us your handles, um, anything you want to just... I'm still on Instagram. It's still Go, which we can, like, put in the notes. But I haven't been super active. I've been more on Twitter because that's where I found, like, my fat academic community. And that's CRNP underscore Suzanne. So we can put that in the notes, too. But I just, you know, my main takeaway is you can fire your medical provider. um, And you can interview a medical practice before you go to them to see if they're going to jive with your needs. You don't have to be fat for this to be the case. It can be just whatever is going on in your life. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to be going on vacation in a week, and otherwise I'm just working out. You're just being awesome. (laughs) And remember, your body is the least interesting thing about you. Ah!